0: From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, December 13th, 2018. This is episode 83 Mr. Google is my father. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined this week by a bunch of Relay FM hosts. Actually, it's funny how that worked out uh, from the Accidental Tech Podcast, which is not Relay FM, but Analog, which is Relay FM. <laughs> it's Casey Liss. Hello.
1: Hello. You know, I'd like to start the show off by, dis- by completely derailing it and saying that this is probably the first time I've crammed for a test in like 15 years. Because I got the uh, show notes for today's episode and realized, hmm. I know almost nothing about all of these topics so this is going to be quite the wild ride for me today. But thank you for reminding me exactly what college felt like 15 years or whatever it's been after having graduated.
0: Excellent, excellent. Uh well, we'll see how you do on the test and <laughs> we'll get your, your grades will be posted outside my office door oh, delightful. next week. Uh also here co-host of All About Android and The Material Podcast right here on Relay FM it is Florence Ion. Hello Flo. Good morning
2: everybody. Did
0: you study Good for me?
2: Did I study? Huh. This is all I've been talking about. Although I don't, <laughs> I've just been talking about this all week with everybody.
0: Oh, see, so it's all so it's all good. It's all fine. Then you've been you, you're warmed up, and and Casey's figuring it out. <laughs> it's fine. You know, it's finals week for my kids too. So there's a lot of a lot of studying going on. here. But
2: too. I have to admit that uh, the one thing that I get really nervous about in regards to these the sort of things that are on the dock today uh, is all that terminology of like, you know the yeah. <laughs> People, people's, uh, you know, where they are in government and that sort of thing. Like, that stuff scares me for mm. some reason. I'm just so afraid to get it wrong. It's
0: not like you're going to be called before Congress to testify. Let's <laughs> hope so none of us are ever called. This is called exactly
2: b- why they don't Congress. pay me the big bucks.
0: Uh, <laughs> the I would country. welcome the opportunity to talk to Congress
3: just personally, but... Oh. Uh, oh. I want to hear from me.
0: Hello, Stephen Hackett, <laughs> producer of Download, Hi. who picked the hey. most interesting stories of the week with me. I just did that whole thing <laughs> backward from how we usually do it, because you talk Hello. I'm sorry. This this is off the rails. We should just move
1: forward. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. If if you get
0: called before Congress, are you going to explain? Like, is it going to be kind of like one of uh, David Sparks's uh, how-to videos, where you're going to be like, okay, do you have two hours? Because I can explain how these things work if you'll just listen, and then they drag you out. I imagine. You see, this isn't
2: an iPhone, or this isn't made by my company. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Mr. Google, if that is your real name, it's not. My name is not Mr. Google. Mr. Google is my father. (laughs) Yeah that's right. I am Doctor Google. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's get down to it. It was a, another week with a tech executive being questioned by members of Congress. How fun it was! It's a, a common thing now. <laughs> Sundar Pichai. It's going to be a common thing for a while, I think. Yeah. Uh, the CEO of Google. Uh, much of the conversation was taken up by members who <laughs> I, I don't know who have a broken computer and needed to be fixed, who think Google has a liberal <laughs> bias, who thinks the company tweaks results to downplay search results from conservative outlets. Uh, Pichai was asked if individual Google employees can make changes to search results, which he said was not even possible. I like to imagine that that they envision this like back room where people are sitting at, at uh, probably very old computers going, oh, we got a search result coming in. What do we want to tell them? Or like, then this is what's happening in the tubes. Anyway, uh, he dodged questions about moderation on YouTube, didn't talk too much about the company's plans for China. He, d- he did a lot of dodging there, too. But this being Congress, there were some questions that were some uh, real doozy. Uh, Zoe Lofgren of California, a Democrat, said why a photo of Trump shows up in search results for the word idiot. And uh, Steve King, Republican of Iowa, who's a real piece of work, by the way, had to be reminded that Google does not make the iPhone. So, yeah. Wait, what? Uh, Did you know? Fun fact. Turns out. (laughs) Google doesn't make the iPhone. Although it does have apps on the iPhone. So if you want. I, I get Anyway, so, you know... This is, Flo, why don't we start with you? You said it. Uh, it feels like uh, uh, this just keeps happening and it's going to keep on happening. As somebody who watches Google pretty closely, how do you think uh, Sundar Pichai did? Did he did, I mean, can, it's kind of a no-win scenario, isn't
2: it? Okay, it is in his case, but I, so I was actually, last night we recorded material and, and, and Andy and I were actually talking about this. I basically was going off about how great I thought Sundar Pichai actually did. I really respect him as an executive because I've watched him kind of grow from the sidelines for the last couple of years, and I've watched him really change things around the company in regards to the products that I love using. And so seeing him in front of Congress just be completely – I mean, I just saw a really humble man who was very well media trained <laughs> – I mean he was just so first of all his the humility is totally authentic and I like watching him versus, like, Mark Zuckerberg. And that's what I mean when I talk about, like, humility, because there's definitely, like, hi, I'm an executive, and there's, like, all these really... all these higher branches of government people who are who are asking me some very serious questions, and I basically am representing, like, an entire giant company and maker of, like, the biggest search engine that anybody uses. And so I appreciated that he was so collected, but I also you know notice in his answers like i could hear the i could hear the pr training
1: mm-hmm. in the
2: answers and i could tell that there is this sort of so first of all i think that a lot of this was a bit of political theater on the government side because i felt that a lot of the a lot of what was being asked could have gone a little further and a little deeper and i felt like we were making a spectacle of things that like we were making a spectacle about the the fact that the the senator didn't know the difference between Apple and Google, you know, instead of actually kind of going, why aren't they asking the hard questions about AI being used in the military? Why aren't they asking the hard questions? I, they did they did grill them on China certainly and uh, the project about bringing cert- the search engine to China, but I just it just felt like such a surface. It just felt like like a play. It just felt like a play. And it didn't it didn't feel it didn't have the depth that I wanted it to have, because as an American citizen, like I want my government to hold tech companies accountable. I want my government to hold companies and and corporations accountable. And it's very frustrating for me to sit and watch Here at home and to see that the questions aren't going deeper and the right things aren't being asked. And then I can see, you know, the media trained answers being parroted back and all I could do is scream. (laughs) Okay, so I I think I talked more about how I felt about that. (laughs) Sorry.
0: (laughs) The screaming. Uh,
2: Yes. Well, it's just it's it's frustrating because I want this to I I want Google to be asked all the hard questions and I I want them to be held accountable. And I want to and because I see the executive is capable of answering the questions. I want to hear them and I'm not getting them. And it's frustrating as a citizen. So that's how I feel Mm. about it. Sorry, I took that tangent.
1: Now The striking thing to me about it is on the surface i should be cheerleading on behalf of the government you know i right. should be excited which is what you were saying you know i should be excited that google is is being held accountable and i happen to be more of an apple kind of guy but i would feel the same way about apple you know apple does things that are a little dubious google does things that are a little dubious and it is in a consumer's best interests that they are you know held accountable for those things and so entering This kind of an event. You should be one should be enthusiastic about the government and kind of cheering on the government. But all this ends up doing is reminding me how inept almost every one of our government representatives is, and how they are completely clueless about anything in modern society and completely disconnected from the experience of regular people in modern society. And I end up feeling more enthusiasm on behalf of the companies than I do the government that is literally supposed to represent me. And it's just, I mean, I don't think this is unique to the United States, although we seem to be doing the best at it. USA, USA, but no, wait, that's not right. Uh, But, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's frustrating that we can't, as a, as a people, and again, it seems to be across multiple you know, or, or companies, not just the United States, we can as a group of people figure out a way to get us elected representatives that actually understand who we are and what we need. And that's just, that's a bummer. Again, if it's Apple, if it's Google, it doesn't matter. I want to be able to be excited that they're appearing in front of my congressperson and getting grilled. And now I'm not. Now I'm embarrassed.
2: Yes, exactly. It, it, it's in part of the reason that I, I was quote unquote screaming is because I I wish that I could be there to sort of guide people yes. and say no, these are the questions you need to actually ask. No, 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 this is actually. And and then it, you get frustrated because you're thinking, why wasn't this a town hall? <laughs> why weren't there? Why weren't <laughs> constituents there to ask their questions? Like you know, like a board of supervisors meeting. You know, I I wish I could have been there to ask my questions.
0: <sighs> yeah it 's one of the challenges with any of this so first off they they do have people uh, they 're called their their staff who are supposed to prep them about this uh, i think I think the part of the problem is that you get this far and become this senior in government based on if you 've got a grasp of any issues at all, which let 's assume that they have a grasp on something uh, it 's probably the issues that were relevant as you were coming up. And, and that means that they're inevitably they're never having a good grasp on modern day issues that weren't there 10 or 15 or 20 years ago uh, but staff you know staff's supposed to do that for them um, so that that's part of a frustration that I think we've always had like even back if you go back to the 90s and they had internet hearings it was a very similar thing where they had no idea it was basically that Today show clip where they're like what is internet mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it, that's, that's a problem and then there's you know flow when you say I want I want to give them better questions <laughs> that is spoken like a journalist who has questions that they want to ask and that's a part of the disconnect I always feel in these hearings which is it's a it's theater on both sides right like yeah. the 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 questions are being asked by politicians who are probably asking them or at least can often ask them because they want to elicit an answer or a, a denial or to look tough and not actually necessarily dig into boring technical detail because it's harder to score political points that way, uh, which is also uh, super frustrating when I watch these kinds of hearings is that they're not even it's like, why are you not asking that question? Because they, they, they're they asking a stupid question that they think will be play to their base, play to their constituents or something like that. But it is super frustrating when you know there are lots of major issues. Um, and, you know, Google knows it, too, right? Like Google knows the answers. Peshay was very uh, practiced, he was he was trained, and when they he knew they were going to ask about the the Chinese search engine that Google, Google is rumored to be developing, sort of in secret. Uh, well, it was a secret until
2: nothing at this time, yeah. quote unquote. And he had
0: a line right, like we have no launch plans at this time and all that. And it was all like the same stuff over and over again, super very carefully worded, so that when they do launch it in six months, they'll be like, well, our plans changed. We finally had launch plans, and then we launched it, and that's that's frustrating too. That they they know how to handle the. The questions at this level unless you're somebody who's kind of crusading and it's like up there with the, the note cards from flow um <laughs> then you're not going to get an answer it's it's uh, it's uh, i mean this is the larger issue we talk about this on the show a lot like there are lots of cases where technology moves so fast that the tech companies are able to do all this stuff and yeah. and by the time the government and the regulators catch up it's, uh, you know, either it's already over or, or we're really in a, a, a big predicament because it takes them 10 years, maybe 15 years to respond to anything that happens.
2: And that's exactly the difference between the two, uh, the two sectors. So the tech sector, it moves fast, right? I know we, talk, we, the Facebook thing is move fast, break things, but it's true. You move fast and things just move really fast. Whereas the government, there's always that trope. Oh, well, if you work in government, things take forever. And, and I mean, it's, <laughs> it's there. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's an interesting. It's a difficult juxtaposition to have in the world because because if there's nobody on either side keeping things level, then yes, that's when that disparity is created and it becomes so deep. And then we have these hearings where people are just yelling at their YouTube screens.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to uh, build on what you had said earlier that. It was very apparent to me that that Pachai had been very well coached, and I don't follow Google nearly as closely. But I typically watch at least a little of you know the major ann- announcements that Google does throughout the year, and so my very very cursory familiar- familiarity with him is that he's a human. You know, he he's yeah. polished, but he's a human, and he has you know idiosyncrasies and 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 ticks in all the normal human ways. You know, in a way that I feel like tim cook is comparatively more straight and i don't want to say boring because it sounds negative but but uh, reserved, maybe is a better word mm-hmm. for it. And I don't think Pachaya is like that generally at all. But holy smokes, when he was sitting there, I feel like he didn't even blink unless it was intentional. And it was very striking to me very quickly how polished he was. And I thought the exact same thing that you had said, Flo. Oh, he's had some very good coaching. And I can only imagine how you felt, presumably following him and in and, and his you know public persona a lot more closely than I do.
2: It was just better. I just felt refreshed having seen that versus where we saw zuckerberg several months ago (laughs) i I mean honestly i just i said see like you're going up against congress like like compose yourself and really just don't sweat so much i don't know (laughs) now i feel bad because that is a lot of pressure i can imagine
0: this is going to keep happening like this is this is the thing is they've got Mm. the scent of it now i was reading something the other day where where somebody was (laughs) writing about how um you know silicon valley skated by you get in that period where where there's kind of nobody paying attention or they're like it's great you're doing innovation you know we want business growth and innovation in america usa usa casey and then there's a point where people are like Oh yeah, we can't um th- that time is over now. We need to we need to pay attention to this now. And and Silicon Valley Tech companies in general, they have reached that point, and uh, just this is going to keep happening there 's going to be regulation I mean one of the things that's that we talk about on this show every week is buzzing in the background is the inevitability of an American version of the uh, of the privacy restrictions that happened in europe and while yep. they 'll probably be a lot let 's be let 's be honest a lot less. Uh, detailed and a lot less forceful than the European privacy restrictions, Silicon Valley knows it's going to get regulated in the United States, and it's all just about how soft those regulations can be at this point. But it's going to keep happening. This is the this is one of the stories of the next couple of years, I think.
2: Twenty nineteen is going to be. <laughs> A big year for this i think we'll we'll have more podcasts about this i think it'll just happen so often <laughs> podcasts
0: will continue to be made in 2019 that's one of my <laughs> predictions
2: Absolutely, and you can
0: take you can you can quote that uh, as being from Mr. (laughs) Google, uh, who does not exist. All right, we have more to talk about. Uh, We're gonna we are gonna pivot a little bit, like you do in Silicon Valley, into Facebook or via Instagram. But first, let me take a break and tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you by Pingdom. Pingdom is the company who makes website performance monitoring very easy. Everybody loves a fast, responsive website. Pingdom are helping keep your favorite. Sites online Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack maybe you've heard of them. Those are just some of the companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites can get really complicated, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. Stuff like user registrations, logins, checkouts, and much more. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible and If something bad happens, if disaster strikes, if your servers betray you, you will be the first to know. Super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL. They will take care of the rest. That's it. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code DOWNLOAD at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, moving on. Earlier this year, Instagram's co-founders... Uh, they left. They joined the ranks of the ex co founders who have had their company acquired by Facebook. They've waited it out and they have gone away. According to Recode, uh, Vishal Shah, who oversaw Instagram's shopping efforts, ad products, and the IGTV video service that nobody cared about, has been promoted to the head of product for all of Instagram. This position had been held by Adam Aseri, who was promoted in October to run Instagram on the whole when the co founders left. Shah has been at Instagram about four years, is no stranger to the product or the teams behind it. So that probably has alleviated some stress. They didn't import a random outside Facebook person uh, into Instagram. It's somebody from inside Instagram. Uh, good time, maybe, though, to talk about Instagram here with this news and the changes over there and this feeling that it may be, uh, it's more loved than Facebook in many ways, and hmm. therefore may be a target of some Facebookification. Um, so I, w- I wanted to ask you all, like, how you use uh, Instagram, uh, and how do you feel about what's going on at Instagram, and and the fact that it's part of of Facebook ultimately, uh, Casey? How do you? Uh, how, what are you? Just uh, doing an Instagram feels check in with you right
1: now. <laughs> uh, feels, I am familiar with those. Uh, you can check out my podcast analog on Real FM. Anyway, uh, no, <laughs> uh, I, you know, Instagram is one of those things that I like despite itself, and I guess that's true of Twitter, but. In this case, it's positive, whereas in in Twitter's case, it's negative. With Twitter, I check in incessantly because I have no self-control and because I feel compelled to do it. With Instagram, I check in incessantly because I have no self-control, but I want to do it. And I love using Instagram and want to, to use and participate in Instagram and its community, despite the fact that I, like almost everyone else on the planet, is feeling less and less comfortable with anything that's even vaguely associated with Facebook. And... Again, I think Twitter is, especially in the line of work that we do, you know, where we talk about these things, uh, I think it's kind of compulsory to be on Twitter, although Stephen will probably tell me I'm wrong, since I believe you are in the middle of a break, but it feels to me like it's compulsory, and and so I, I am checking it constantly and participating in it quite a bit, even though Twitter often does not make me terribly happy, which is weird that I spend so much time on it, but I don't know just the way it is, Instagram... When I don't remember the fact that it's on by Facebook and when I'm not scrolling by 34 ads for every three pictures makes me very happy. And I love that there are now kind of two Instagrams. There's the Instagram that is the best version of you living your best life. And that's, you know, typically what most people will put as their like actual Instagram posts. And then there's the like casual uh, the heck with it. You know, here's here's the real me kind of stories. And I know that there's like, what is it? Rinstas and finstas. I'm way too old for this nomenclature, <laughs> but you get the idea. And, and and so I enjoy Instagram so much, except the thing about this story that really gives me pause is that we said, uh, Vishal Shah, he was in charge of ad products. Don't care. IGTV, don't care. And shopping efforts, don't care. Mm. And now he's in charge of all of product. That's somewhat alarming and the guy in in the Adam Maseri he was previously in that job right it doesn't ultimately matter the point is it seems like the people who have the keys to the kingdom now are motivated by stuff that I don't care for. And that also gives me pause. And I I am worried that my beloved Instagram is going to be poisoned sometime soon, even more than it already has been so far, with more ads, with more push for IGTV and other things that I just don't personally feel any attachment to. Flo, what do you think?
2: So I was, uh, I was kind of making a couple notes over here as Casey was talking because I, so first of all, I personally have set a limit on Instagram in my life. Hmm. So thankfully, if, thanks to the new digital wellbeing features that are in Android Pie, I set a 10 minute timer for Instagram daily. So I can only wow. use it. yeah. 10 minutes at a time. And the reason of, because of this is, uh, There's a lot of talk right now in the wellness online communities about kind of stepping back from social media because of all the anxiety it's brought after, especially just where we are. I mean, there's so much going on in the world. And while Instagram is a nice escape, sometimes it just takes you into another tunnel that is not as good for you either. (laughs) to escape to. And so I decided to put the 10-minute limit on myself to sort of help with that, but to also kind of stay in touch with people who use Instagram as a means of letting people know what's going on in their life. That part was frustrating for me because I'm like, oh, why can't it just be like the old days when people would just like tell each other what was going on instead of me having to go to a central location to find out that like, you're adding a new member to your family. I mean, come on. Uh, But then I found that those 10 minutes were actually the perfect 10 minutes on Instagram because I was able to, the algorithm immediately pops up all the people that I care about the most. So it knows who my best friends are. It knows the people that I like all the time. um, And I think it, somehow does the same with the ig story somehow it always ends up well and then i check in on my messages because what i'll do is i'll rapid fire chat people and then they'll get back to me and then i'll check the next day and so i'm having these conversations last happen over a couple of days because i'm only on for 10 minutes at a time Um, i found that it is strengthened friendships so (laughs) you know it's uh It's making me think that I don't know what role Instagram has in everybody's life.
1: You know, I'm glad you brought up messaging because I have found, and it's happened organically, like I had no intention of it being this way, but I have found over the last maybe two to three months, something like that, I have been using Instagram messages a lot, which is deeply frustrating when I'm on my iPad because then I'm doing it at a 90 degree angle because Instagram refuses to come out with an iPad app. Not that I'm bitter, but nevertheless, uh, I... I am curious. So, Flo, it sounds like you're using Instagram messages at least a lot. Whether or not it's more or less than previously, so mm-hmm. I'd be curious to ask you guys. Starting with Flo, you know, do you feel like it's been ramped up lately? And if so, do you know why? Or, or am I the am I late to this party? And it's been a lot always.
2: So, I think this is just the result of Instagram becoming the commu- social network of choice. Because it used to be that I would log into Facebook and I would just have mm-hmm. so many chats waiting for me and messages, but I've really I mean, I canceled my Facebook account. A lot of people have petered off from there. The thing that worries me, you were mentioning, Casey, uh, that this fellow what he used to have leadership over the the shopping, uh, the shopping part. I actually know, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people who've been shopping from Instagram, and you know those those ads are incredibly targeted. I mean, oh, when we that, were having yes. mm-hmm. when we were having the fires, like people were buying the HEPA filter that was advertised on Instagram during that time. It was very, it was very wild, uh, <laughs> and even my husband's purchased shoes from Instagram. So I'm seeing it become this, like, I think because Facebook became such a I don't even know the word to think of it, but something happened to Facebook in the last couple of years. I think we all know what it is. But something happened to its image that made people kind of come over to Instagram and see this polished experience. Because like you said, Casey, people come to Instagram to show their polished selves. So why not have that social network? Why not be there? Because it's like a safer place to be than Facebook. Mm -hmm. However, I fear... That because this guy is known for you know all of these efforts to try and like increase uh, monetization at Instagram, that it's going to become as busy as Facebook, which is going to land it into the exact same uh, conundrum that Facebook is now. So I really started to fall off Facebook when it became this. Busy little social network. There was just like apps and news feeds and plugins and oh, like all this stuff in a marketplace. And, you know, I started on Facebook when I was in college, when it was just a very simple network for meeting people that, you know, as a commuter to my college, like that was a really important social network for me. Then when it became so busy, though, it became very overwhelming. And so I really fear that that is the, I fear that that might be Instagram's destiny.
0: Hmm. Stephen, how are you feeling about Instagram these days? I like Instagram. I like flow have left Facebook and
3: I talked about it on connected, but that has thrown my Instagram ads into a very, very weird place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it has enough data about me to tell that I'm not uh, a woman. I get a lot of, a lot of ads for things that or targeted towards women. But outside of that, I do like Instagram because it is mostly free of the things that make Twitter full of anxiety and stress, right? At least the accounts I follow. There's no news on Instagram. There's no hot takes about politics or about technology. It's, you know, my friends and what they're up to. And not even all my friends because I keep weeding, weeding it down to be smaller and smaller. I do struggle with the like the inherent sh- issue that I don't like Facebook and don't have a Facebook account, but I like Instagram and have an Instagram account. Uh, I don't know where to reconcile that for, for now at least like, like Casey said, there are some things about it that I don't like, but it's still above whatever that invisible threshold is for me where I'm willing to spend time there. And at some point it may fall below that threshold and then uh, that'll be that. But for now, at least I can use it and enjoy my time there Uh, it's interesting to hear y'all talk about the, the messaging. I actively dislike using Instagram as a messaging platform. Uh, If you have like tried to message me, like I don't read them. Uh, I don't Hmm. check in on like, I have like hundreds of requests. I don't look at them. Uh, I just don't like, that's just not a place where I want to communicate with people back and forth very often. I will do it on occasion, but most of the time, that badge just sits there. Yeah, and
2: everyone stops sending messages to Steven on Instagram.
0: Yeah, you know, <laughs> me. You, you guys were talking about this, and I was like, there's messaging on Instagram? No idea. No idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: people prefer it. I think because it works over Wi Fi and you can send images pretty easily. I mean, my friends will send like memes and screenshots that they see, and I take it that the reason that messaging is happening is because they're spending a lot more time there than yes. they are yeah. elsewhere. And so and now it's like, okay, well, listen, you're only getting 10 minutes of my time a day, so make it quick.
3: Yeah, I, I have this theory about, about messaging that you just touched on, where people are just going to use whatever messaging app is the easiest. Yeah. So like yeah. back in the day, we all used AIM because we were all on our desktops all the time. Oh, and then we used Facebook or we used like Google Hangouts, in Gmail and Facebook Messenger because we were spending time in Gmail and Facebook. And now it's moved. You know, it went through Twitter and it went through Snapchat if you're younger than me. And now it's at Instagram. It'll, it'll be something else in a year from now. Um, you know, Casey's secret social network he's working on will take off. Shh. But, <laughs> uh, you know, messaging just people just want like the, the lowest barrier to send somebody a, a message. And for a lot of people, I think you're right because they're spending so much time there. And that's why Instagram is important to think about from a, from like a policy perspective when it comes to Facebook, because there's all this research that Facebook's user base is way older than it used to be. And even people like Flo, I think you and I are about the same age. We started Facebook in college. I remember when it rolled out to my university, right? People were freaking out, very excited. And, and now like, we're kind of the youngest people there and you and I aren't even there, right? But mm-hmm. the people younger than us, people in their... You know, late teens or even their 20s, they're not on Facebook in the numbers that people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s are. And you see Facebook respond to that by buying things like Instagram and WhatsApp and these other platforms where the quote, I'm going to sound super old, but the quote unquote, the youth are, right? And Instagram <laughs> has a more youthful user base than Facebook proper. And so Facebook is still advertise to all of them because even though it's not the main channel, hey, you're over here on Instagram, we own that too, so it's fine. Uh, so anytime we see something become popular with like the incoming generation, I always look at those things like, is this the one, like, is this the one out of this generation that Facebook will buy? Like whatever happens after Instagram is always at risk of being purchased by Facebook because this is now their MO if, if. If there's a, a new generation of users that aren't on a Facebook property, buy the property they are on. Right. So it becomes a Facebook property. And it's it's a brilliant tactic unless you don't want to be on a Facebook property <laughs> and get sucked into
1: it.
0: <laughs> it's, I think they're called the Utes you yes, did you get that
1: reference yes yes i can't place it but i have definitely oh, heard oh boy all
0: right let's take a break uh now that we thoroughly depressed i use i'm using instagram a lot these days f- to take pictures of uh sporting events i go to and when i'm on vacation or if my dog <laughs> yeah. or cat do something interesting that's pretty much my instagram a lot of
3: football games from, from Jason yeah there's a so. lot
0: a lot of college football games there well you know one of the nice things about it is that i can post it and it goes on twitter but a lot of people aren't on twitter so it also goes on instagram and it kind of goes to both places and it goes to facebook because i'm still on facebook and i feel ashamed about it but i have family there who will not go anywhere else so that's where Understandable. they are that's your just that's how they get you uh, okay we'll take a break there's much more to talk about but first let me tell you about our next sponsor it is text expander from smile text expander multiplies your team's productivity by making up-to-date shared knowledge available instantly when you use text expander All of your team's common responses are accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts, written and edited by your best writers, available on multiple platforms, Mac OS, iOS, Windows, and web, create snippets for things you type or copy and paste all the time. There's nothing more frustrating than answering the same email with the same answer over and over again. You can automate it, get a couple of keystrokes, the same answer comes out, you can move on to the next thing, and you can save time. And then it multiplies, because if you're in a team, you can share that same snippet with multiple people. You can get the best writer or the official marketing person or whoever you want to write that answer. And when the answer changes, they can update it and it's automatically updated for you. If there's a new contact number, if there's new contact name at the company, you can put it all in there and you still do those same keystrokes and it all comes out. Everybody will save time. It leaves you more time for the stuff that you were really hired to do, which is probably not type the same email over and over again. And for larger teams, there's support for single sign-on and grouping accounts, so set up as a breeze. Great for writers, sales teams, teachers, lawyers, you name it. And you can find tips related to your industry on the Text Expander blog. They've got lots of great ideas. It can save you a lot of time. Don't put it off any longer. Go to TextExpander.com slash podcast right now to learn more that's Textexpander.com slash podcast. Thank you to Text Expander for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Okay, now it's time for the story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar but might be worth mentioning. Stephen pointed this out to me. 50 years ago this week, Douglas Engelbart presented what is now called the mother of all demos, a 90-minute long presentation that includes much of how we think about modern computing. But remember, 1968. Separate windows, hypertext, visual navigation, command line input, video conferencing, the mouse, word processing, Wow. dynamic file linking, revision control and a collaborative real-time editor, so Google Docs basically. In 1968, <laughs> Engelbart's presentation was the first to publicly demonstrate all of these elements in a single system. It was mind-blowing at the time and paved the way for work at Xerox Park and other research centers, which of course then fed into ultimately a lot of the stuff being expressed in the Macintosh in 1984. If it, the whole the whole presentations on YouTube, right, Stephen? Yeah, <laughs> just mind-blowing.
3: In of itself, you know, I, I think about this demo from time to time and I've rewatched a good chunk of it this week and I always have the question of like, did he really predict the future or did the future prove out what he predicted because it, it all seemed so good, right? Like we see that in science fiction, right? Like, oh, we're going to have transporters one day because they're a good idea or because we saw them in Star Trek and thought they were a good idea. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. But if you read through this or watch part of it, it's like he's a time traveler. It. it it Uh really is uncanny
0: some of this technology he was showing so early and he was you know he was really in it um uh, he was trying to make the future right he was trying to build the future this wasn't just Mm -hmm. like a sketch they were building stuff worked they had to build their own (laughs) stuff this is a little bit like if you're in uh aerospace and you know you have to build your own parts because you can't just order parts from the factory every single part of every single thing yeah. you have is custom-made for you because you're the only one <laughs> making a spaceship. Um, it's a little like that, where they were having to write their own code and do, and build their own mice and things like that. Um, I met Doug Engelbart in the, um, what, the, the mid-'90s Mac user. We gave him an award that was basically a lifetime achievement award for inventing the mouse because we thought, uh, the, what would the Mac be without the mouse? And mm-hmm. it was really nice because he, I think at that time, he felt like... Um, the world had kind of gotten what he was working on but but maybe he didn't get the recognition that he deserved and he passed away a few years ago but it was a nice yeah. moment in the 90s when i met him and we gave him a big trophy that basically said thank you for inventing basically all of the things that computers do now <laughs> it is yeah. um, 1968 that's the thing it's not like oh well you know a couple years before the mac or in the mid 70s there was the that was all true there was stuff happening then but he had all these ideas built and running on a, you know, obviously very limited degree, but still demoable in 1968, before there were moon landings. <laughs> you have to say, the year before we landed on the moon. <laughs> yeah, we have mouse. Blowing. Yeah, and yeah. it's like a little floating arrow cursor that he's clicking on stuff in 1968. It's, it's amazing. So we had truly Google ast-
2: Docs before we landed on the moon got it yeah (laughs) and and mice
0: and uh hypertext so we had the web and i mean this just it's it's amazing so people can check it out it's a black and white of course presentation goes on it's long so there's no there's no like steve jobs uh, showmanship in it it is just a guy sitting at a computer talking for 90 minutes about literally how everything is going to change in the next 15 years uh it's amazing uh let's move on to our next topic it is a grab bag of apple news uh i'm gonna take this from from leo laporte he does this a lot on Twitter where he'll be like apple let's just talk about apple random headlines we're gonna do that uh there's the apple qualcomm battle which is getting super ugly a court in china uh has apparently banned sales of older iphones although apple says they're still for sale Um, not the current models but a few previous year models uh qualcomm has pulled some patents out of its hat that uh, are weird they're like not cellular radio patents they're software patents about like app management and things that they've never really used before that they're trying to trip apple up because basically what Happening is Qualcomm is trying to get Apple to pay them money and settle this dispute that Apple has, where Apple thinks Qualcomm is overcharging for patent licensing. And, uh, the, you know, the battle. Continues. I don't know uh, if anybody has any thoughts about this back and forth, but um, it's it's ugly. Like Apple, uh, Apple may re-enter. Uh, they may enter five G for the iPhone a year later than they normally would because they will refuse to use Qualcomm's five G radios and will wait for Intel to come up with a radio for twenty twenty. It's pretty wild. These are two American companies using Chinese courts to squabble against each other.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I would never. I don't have any evidence to to. Uh, site to to justify my conclusion, but I would never put it past Apple to be stubborn and petulant if it if they feel like it's justified. And this appears to be one of those cases. And it's it's interesting to me to view this story in combination with all the smoke that we're seeing with regard to ARM Macs. So Macs that are based on not Intel processors anymore, but you know, a different kind of processor, presumably a homegrown processor like the iPhones and iPads are, and this to me, both of these, both independently and in concert, seem to me to be Apple fulfilling its sort of kind of manifest destiny or self-created manifest destiny to control everything. They want to be able to design everything that goes into every one of their devices, if at all possible, please and thank you. And this just appears to be another vector for that same attack. And I'm not surprised by it. I'm not necessarily saying it's a wise choice, but given Apple's preference to be in control of everything, it doesn't surprise me at all. And I think in the case of Intel, they're getting burned because Intel is not moving at the pace they want. In the case of Qualcomm, I I can't even keep up with all the different darts and barbs that have been thrown, you know, from one company to the other. So I don't even know who started it, but it doesn't really matter. I think it's just another case of them not wanting to rely on somebody else for a critical piece of their computers and granted that's iphones in this case but they're still computers so none of this really surprises me it's unfortunate the way it's playing out you know why can't we all just sit down and shake hands and be friends but it's corporate america so of course we can't yeah
0: there's also a story this week that uh (laughs) apple is now officially hiring a bunch of chip engineers right so that they can replace the uh the intel radios that they're going to use (laughs) with their own it's like from qualcomm to intel to apple that's what they do.
2: Uh, I just want to say that we should not worry about Apple if it's going to be late to the five G game because there probably isn't enough infrastructure for it anyway.
0: Yeah, that's true. Absolutely true. I I, I wrote a piece about this um, on for Tom's Guide last week where I was like, it's fine. Like everybody's really excited about the hype about five G and five G will happen, but it's going to be a every cellular rollout takes forever. Like it's it's a huge infrastructure thing. It, most people, you know, are not going to be like, "Oh, thank goodness, my cell phone is slightly is is a lot faster now because they're pretty fast on LTE. It's not a big deal. It'll get there. It's fine." Uh, but you know. Uh, this a lot of tech writing is about getting exciting about whatever's being hyped right now. And that one is being mm-hmm. hyped right now. So Hype. yeah, it is. Uh, so <laughs> Apple is going to resurrect journalism. Uh, congratulations. This is exciting. <laughs> oh, uh, goodness. So they just a minor story. They, they, so they bought texture, um, earlier this year which is this uh netflix for magazines basically is the concept
2: it's really good you pay a monthly
0: way. fee and you get access to all of the text of a bunch of magazines apple the one, ones
2: that are left the ones Sorry. that
0: remain well you <laughs> know tell me about it right uh
2: we come from that world Jason. <laughs> we, we
0: we escaped the paper bonds of magazines and now we're on the internet so uh it's a we're in a better place maybe or we're dead we're ghosts now i don't know um the, they're going to they're gonna relaunch it inside Apple News, is the story. And they're working with publishers about it. And there's some reluctance because publishers are concerned that being part of an all-you-can-eat service, they're not going to get enough money to actually be able to sustain themselves. So there's a back and forth going on because Apple does want to kind of make another service. It's another subscription service from Apple. And this one is for reading stuff. Um, market research suggests magazine ad sales are expected to drop more than 10% in 2018. And the industry could be worth half of what it was uh, in 2015 by 2020 and i'll just say uh, what it was in 2015 wasn't so hot either so uh there are definitely magazines and newspapers trying to find a way out um Apple is this is this an answer to to do an all you can eat kind of thing? I feel like the big names are going to have their are going to have their individual subscriptions, but is there a place for something like this for uh for a bunch of different sites? I mean, we all hit paywalls all the time, right? And you and and there are the the paywalls that you are willing to pay for, and then there're the sites where you're like, "Well, yeah, I read one site, you know, one article on your site every Every month, if that, I'm not going to pay for it. Where something like Texture could actually fit, I think. Flo, you said you like this service.
2: I do, Uh, and I'm also just to to completely disclose, I have a ton of subscriptions to just like people's websites, and I'm a big fan of the subscription model because that. Is what I came from. That's what I started in. And that's why I wanted to become a journalist in the first place was because I loved magazines and I just loved the idea of quarterlies, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, textures are really a good service if you fly a lot, if you just want if you just need to have stuff that you want to like flip through and you just like to look at pictures of things. I mean, I really liked it because I could just dive into all the celebrity gossip mags and then just dive out and not feel too bad about it because I didn't have like a physical copy, you know, <laughs> so that nobody could like, no trees totally were see. injured
0: in this. It's fine.
2: Yes. Yes. Or, you know, just quickly jump to the Atlantic. If somebody mm. looks over your shoulder, see, just kidding. Nobody should feel bad about that. Um, but I, I, I see, you know, I really see content going towards the way of the subscription model anyway. It's just that instead of paper, we're going to be paying for digital things. I mean, we already do that so much with streaming content, right? It makes sense that we would start doing it with articles and and things of the sort.
3: Yeah. It, it made me think about the first time Apple tried this right after the iPad was introduced. Oh, boy. They made a big push, and you saw a couple of things. You saw... Uh, publishers like IDG. I remember Mm -hmm. having the Macworld app and it basically downloaded ginormous PDFs of all the pages and it was really slow (laughs) and awkward. Um, And you had some... what, what the name is escaping me, Jason or Casey, you may remember, what was the big iPad news magazine that Apple pushed so hard and they basically went under like a year later? Oh, the, the Daily. Oh. The newspaper? The Daily? Yeah, 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 that yeah, was yeah, That yeah. was a Rupert Murdoch yeah. and the Daily, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you there's,
0: you had stuff like Zinio that was the digital replicas, which is what you're thinking of, Stephen. Yeah. But what, what you're leaving out is that the, the sweet solution that Steve Jobs offered all magazine publishers was Newsroom. write your own apps. Yeah. Write yeah. your own apps and put them in the store. Like, writing your own app is really, really really hard. And we did. We did Macworld Daily Re- Reader, mm-hmm. which was basically an app. And PC World had a version of it then later, too, which was an app that pulled from basically our RSS feeds, which is kind yeah. of how all those apps still work today. And I keep wondering what would have happened if Apple had instead built essentially iBooks for magazines, where mag- where ma- magazine publishers di- and newspapers didn't have to build apps, but instead could right. just write feeds, which is Content, kind of yeah. what Apple News so, is. It's, 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 that's the Apple News thing. And you know, Apple had
3: Newsroom again, now gone. That these apps had Our Newsstand. Newsstand. How quickly newsstand. we forget, Stephen. It's Newsstand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Newsroom is Apple's new PR site. Yes, there's, there's so they, much uh, news. There's uh, a lot of confusing things. All, it all fits. Where these apps had had special abilities on the iPad, like downloading the background and stuff. But the difference between now and then I I think is that the technology seems way better than it was even in 2010, 2011, 2012. Uh, But Flo, I think you nailed it. I think content is more subscription based now than ever. And I think people are slowly but surely understanding that, right? There's still lots of people who just do not want to pay for content and that's fine. There's always free content. My entire business is built on that. But there are, especially in like long form reporting, subscriptions are becoming more the norm. And that was really difficult to sell in 2010, but maybe it'll be easier in 2019 when this thing uh, rolls out. So I I don't know if it's going to be the savior of the long form journalism world. I don't think anything can save it probably, but my guess is it'll be more successful than last time. And I think that's exciting.
1: Yeah. I, I've i never tried this and to, I, I don't know... If it really appeals to me that much, I used to subscribe to a couple of print magazines and what ended up happening is, and these were not, you know, what is it, the Atlantic or so? What is the one that ever that everyone has that's like 8,000 pages long and it's aspirational? It's the I New Yorker. It. It's the New Thank Yorker. Thank you. There you go. The New, York, the New Yorker. It's not, these Casey, are not if no, you they, had
0: read the New Yorker, you would have known that it was my cousin Vinny.
1: Ah, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> I'd never seen it. I just heard it quoted of oh. Anyway, I'm, I'm so sorry, you guys. This is how John Syracuse feels every episode of the Accidental Tech Podcast at ATP.com fm (laughs) i can't help it i can't help it so the point i'm driving at uh sort of maybe is that is that uh i used to have like car and driver in 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 road and track and things of that nature and they would just pile up and these are not you know deep thinking sort of magazines these are just (laughs) these are almost you know Picture picture books to to us to a large degree, and I would just never read them, and that is just not a hole in my life that I'm really looking to fill, be that for free or with paid content, and so I'm not sure this really appeals to me very much. However, something Flo said about having like kind of an an omnivorous way into, well, I'd like to read a little bit of celebrity gossip and a little bit about cars and a little bit about Apple and a little bit about Google and having a one-stop shop for all that is appealing but if I'm going to kill time and I want to read something, I'm either going to read a novel or I'll just browse Twitter for two minutes and find something that's worth looking at.
2: Or 40 minutes. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I, um, I agree. I think, for me, this is not going to save journalism but it could no. be, and, and this is what the publishers are really saying too is it's an incremental revenue stream. They want hardcore fans of their work to subscribe directly to them, and that will probably continue to be the case. But I, I kind of see it. I like the idea that all the other paywalls you hit for you know five dollars a month or ten dollars a month, they all are basically lifted in Apple News. So now, like I'm not going to ever subscribe to Bloomberg. But if but I I run into their stories a lot and I hit their paywall and it's like, well, if my if some of my money that I'm giving through Apple goes to Bloomberg as a thank you for letting me read seven stories a month or whatever on Bloomberg's website, great. Like, that's that's fine. or Or Wired Magazine or something like that, where I'm not going to subscribe, but it's like extra money from people who want to just not hit some of those paywalls. It could be okay, but it's not going to be the answer, right? And I think that what a lot of publishers are pushing... Apple 4 is making it easier to subscribe. They do this a little bit already, but easier to subscribe to their full premium offering inside Apple News so that they can get like they can convert those people to be New York Times subscribers or Washington Post subscribers or whatever. But I don't know i don't know uh it will be interesting to see how they market this and what the product ends up being that's another we'll put on our list for 2019 doing that a lot these last uh, couple (laughs) of weeks it's funny how the how that happens in december um the last one i just want to mention in passing is that apple announced uh, a bunch of new uh expansions in the u.s including a billion dollar new campus in austin for about uh well, let's see, they've got 6,000 people in Austin now, and they may add as much as 15,000 jobs. They'll be the largest private employer in Austin. Um, they're adding workforces in Seattle and San Diego and, and uh, L.A. area, uh, a bunch of other places in the U.S. And uh, they they say they have employees in every state in the United States, which is fascinating because they don't have Apple stores in every state. So I'm wondering, mm-hmm. who is the Apple employee in North Dakota right in if you're that person or or south dakota or montana Let us know because there are no Apple stores there and I think is there an Apple store in Wyoming I think there isn't so like we want to know who you are but what a beautiful uh, but,
2: place to put an Apple store by the way
0: a, a funny a funny moment given what Amazon did right where they had like a whole like reality show about who was gonna who was going to come mm. with the be the best inducements to uh, bring their headquarters and then they made everybody angry by picking two and splitting it up and all of that and Apple meanwhile just uh, worked in the background and then put out a press release and said yeah here here is a billion dollar campus in Austin Texas. so I don't know, different, different approaches, uh, but uh, but it's an interesting story, and that goes back to them trying to be, you know, the president of the United States keeps saying, build factories in the U.S., and Apple's like, mm, factories is not really what we want in the U.S. We want this other stuff, and so it's an interesting kind of push and pull there, too. Um, okay, we've got another topic. I mentioned Bloomberg just a moment ago. Well, we got something to talk about there, but first, let me tell you about our last sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you by kane 11, the company who makes ridiculously comfortable software ludicrously comfortable socks in, get this, your shoe size. Here's the deal. The socks you're wearing now are one size fits all, but we don't have the same size feet, do we? That's why we have shoe sizes. The people at Kane 11 thought, since we wear socks every day, they deserve to be innovated upon. Kane 11's men's merino wool socks have a precise fit. The name Kane 11 comes from the 11 sizes. You can get a 7, an 8, all the way up through 17. I have an 11, so right in there with a cane 11. But if you're a size 16, it's fine. You'll be amazed when you feel the difference of socks that truly fit. Cane 11 socks are high quality. They will hold up through wash after wash. They're made with optimal performance fiber that moves moisture away from your feet to keep them dry at all times. It's good in the summer, good in the winter. And available in smart, confident styles to suit your look. I have stripy ones. They make me very, very happy. All purchases come with a Can 11 promise. If for any reason you don't love your socks, send them back for an exchange or a return. No questions asked. And Kane 11 socks are the perfect gift for the guy who has everything, because he definitely doesn't have these. Once you wear Kane 11s, you'll never go back to one-size-fits-all socks again to get your own socks in precisely your size. Go to Cane11.com slash download. That's K-A-N-E-1-1 dot com slash download. Download and enter promo code download to get 20% off your order. That's Kane11.com slash download promo code download 20% off your first order. Thank you to Kane11 for socks and for supporting download. Socks, socks, <laughs> socks, 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 oh, socks, sock sponsors are the best. All right, here we go. Super micro. The company at the center of the Bloomberg Business Week expose back in October about secret Chinese spy microprocessors. Remember this being added to devices that would then end up in data centers for major companies like Amazon and Apple. I feel like it's Ocean's Eleven all of a sudden. We go into Supermicro and then they go, their, their parts go into the Amazon thing and the Amazon thing goes into the cloud. And then we read all the secrets that go through the Amazon cloud. Um Supermicro sent a letter to its customers this week saying they hired an outside investigation team, they conducted multiple audits themselves, and the end result is that they found no evidence of any of the malicious hardware being added to their systems that Businessweek said was installed on that hardware. And previously, every other company involved in the story, like Amazon and Apple, has also vociferously, aggressively denied its accuracy, while Bloomberg has stood by the report. Now, in late November, the Washington Post said that Bloomberg had sent one of its own reporters to reinvestigate the story, which is interesting interesting because it suggests that Bloomberg itself might be doubting what its reporters were told, I think I would say, is probably what's going on there, or at least finding it strange, the blanket denials that are coming from all the companies that they reported on. My question, so it's a little more journalism stuff here, where does this leave us? Like, everybody is confident, which is impossible, something happened here, Um, (laughs) and I'm wondering what everybody feels about uh, cloud computing and how much they trust that, and uh, investigatory journalism. And how much they trust that right now. So we started with the government and our our questions about the government trying to probe, um, trying to probe tech companies, and I guess we end with uh, journalists trying to probe tech companies. <laughs> Casey, what's your read on this Bloomberg story? It's mystifying a little bit, isn't it? It
1: is. It's my read on it is that it it was probably somebody got in somebody at bloomberg got informed about either a theory or or you know something that this this informant thought was fact that just isn't true like everything everything about the story feels like it's not true to me but If I were working at Bloomberg, and and to be clear, I've never been a journalist. I I know nothing about what it's like to be a journalist. So uh, if I'm besmirching, especially the two of you, but if any journalist's name, then I apologize. I don't mean to. But if I were, you know, the head of Bloomberg and I heard about this story, it would be hard not to be like, oh, this is a good one. Oh, we got (laughs) to run with this. Because it ticks like every nervous tick box that we have these days. You know, it it does it there's no Russia here, but there's China, so you got that covered. You know, you've got the international relations thing covered. All tech is suspect covered. You know, this is like the perfect storm of a story. Almost too perfect, perhaps. And that's what it seems, is Uh that it just seems like they got a little bit bamboozled by the the how perfect this was and how this was going to make for some excellent reading when in reality they they should have taken a pause to say is this really true? Are we really sure? Or are we just going on informants and haven't really done any independent verification and it's hard for me to say and again I don't really know what, what this process is like in the same way that the two of you guys do and actually Steven's educated as a journalist so really I'm the ignorant one of the three of us but or four of us but it's my cousin um, Vinny
0: Casey it's my cousin Vinny
1: <laughs> oh that's what it was I got it but, uh, but no it just seems to me like they just they, they, their eyes you know it's a little starry eyed emoji right they just got the, the, their hands on this, it's this a hell of a story this, this right story. yeah it's a heck of a story so why not run with it. Well, the reason why not to is because it's probably not true.
0: Yeah, uh Steven, do you have any journalism feelings here, I suppose? Uh, I should w- w- Casey but, mentioned you to throw you in uh, here. So many things about what Casey said,
3: uh, <laughs> sorry. I think what you shared Casey is a a common thought among people mm-hmm. sort of in the tech community, and I think it I think that sells Bloomberg and the reporters who worked on this and the editors who worked on it really short. Uh no doubt there is something wrong about this story. The the government, these companies have all said it's not true. Uh, I, I think where the truth lies in this, and I think what will probably come out eventually, is that Bloomberg actually did talk to multiple sources and have an investigation into this, but that they were played by uh, a group of people or – A point of view that someone wanted to to have have out there. Uh, I think saying that a reporter got an email about this and just went crazy and wrote it up and posted it is. Is pretty irresponsible. It would be incredibly irresponsible, of Bloomberg, and that doesn't line up with the rest of what we know about them as an organization. Yeah. That's one reason this yep. is so interesting. Because Bloomberg does it. It's not like it was on a blog. It's not like Casey, you or I wrote it on our website. <laughs> it's on Bloomberg. It was on the cover. Like it's a real outlet, and no doubt they got something wrong here, something big wrong, something that should be fireable for many people. But there's a difference between that and the thought of, oh, this seems really awesome. Let's just go with it and not do our homework. I have no doubt they did their homework. I have no doubt they worked months on it. They still got it wrong. Like the outcome, like I'm arguing about uh, details in the story, the overall story is they blew it. But I think those details are important here because we live in an environment where people in power say that we shouldn't trust the press and shouldn't trust media. And when that press and media beats up on your favorite company, it's really easy to... Get defensive about it. I'm not saying that's what you're doing. People on Twitter do it. People out there do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying you're doing that. Not on but,
0: Instagram though. On Instagram, it's fine. Not on Instagram. Well, I don't
3: know. They may be. I don't read the messages. Uh, but it's there's a difference there, and I think that difference is really important. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, though, what's most important is how Bloomberg handles it when they come back around to it. No doubt, this is not over yet. Right. So, Supermicro, Apple, and Amazon have all said um, this is not accurate in, in any way, the details are all wrong here Bloomberg has to deal with that uh they probably should have already dealt with it, but they haven't they haven't yet and when they do that will be the real test for them of of what they say happened and I got no doubt they ha- they were lied to by many people um this is not a single source story i don't think no that it's be, not they, that would be
0: insane they talked to multiple they, sources I, that's why I think i don't I don't think they were lied to I think they were um my, my pet theory, and I talked about this at length on Upgrade a few weeks ago, is that there is a there was a uh, conventional wisdom kind of story going around inside a couple of these tech companies based on something real that got turned into something that wasn't quite real, and it became kind of a game of telephone. And mm. that and that uh, in investigating the story, Bloomberg got a bunch of people who, ha- who had knowledge that this happened, but maybe didn't get anybody who had firsthand knowledge. And uh, yet enough people heard about it that they felt it was real. That's my that's my guess, is that uh, enough of them heard that it seemed like it was a real story when in, in fact it might have been an echo chamber Just Mm. kind of mirage. And of course, it's such a big story. The problem is, well, why didn't you confirm it? Well, then they call the companies and the companies deny it and they think well of course they're going to deny <laughs> of it of course
1: they did so you
0: yeah. end up in this very difficult unfortunate situation where you have a journalism operation that feels like they've got multiple sources saying that this happened and then the company's saying it didn't happen and them thinking well you know we have a lot of people who say it happened so we're going to publish it and then mm. all the companies do an unusually vociferous response saying it absolutely didn't yeah and then you and then as bloomberg you're like uh-oh like what what the hell just happened with our other sources. And that is at the point at which they send... I think Ben Elgin, their, uh, their uh, additional Bloomberg reporter in to sort of start backtracking and basically reporting on the reporting and try to figure out, uh, like, re-reporting about this because mm. everybody's still a little bit mystified about what went on here because obviously people went on the record uh, anonymously saying this happened. And so like, where'd that come from? And if it's true, why does nobody else seem to think it did? It's, yeah. I don't know. It is it is frustrating because I don't think anybody at the journalist level um necessarily did a a a slapdash job here a slipshod job but the result may be a story that's factually um untrue which is brutal yeah
3: and and that your version of that makes me sleep better at night than some sort of like rogue agent outright lying about it um i tend to to just go to like the scariest case scenario. Well, yes, yeah,
0: you're right. What if there's somebody who is basically an employee at one of these organizations who's actually working for, uh, you know, that's bad. The NSA <laughs> like, or the Chinese government yeah. or let's yeah. say Canada. Why not? And yeah, I mean, hey, and they're the, lying the, in order to stoke up some sort of uh, a fear right. between these companies or yeah. to prove a point. But that's that's the weird thing, right? Is like then the government sources say no, this didn't happen. So why would the government? Yeah. Yeah, I never put it, the government past them to have the left hand and the right hand not know what each other doing but mm. alright well I'm thoroughly depressed about the state of our government <laughs> about journalism Hooray! about the, the media business in general about All of it. you know what social it, media it's time for the fuzzy puppy update to take us Yay! out where we can turn it around and think about something happy now many of us have many of us some of us have been to these uh, gender reveal parties I, I think I'm a little too old for the gender reveal party yeah, I think, I've been to a bunch of I them have I have
2: not. Oh. I have not, actually.
0: Maybe it's a Southern thing. I don't know. We're expecting parents release pink balloons into the sky or blast everyone in the crowd with blue confetti. Oh, it burns! Oh, Bert. congratulations on your son! Oh! Uh, <laughs> but the reveal party has a new twist. What if what was revealed were puppies? That's right. New dog owners are having friends over or just going Instagram to announce their puppies. And in some cases, making people think it's a gender reveal party when in fact a puppy emerges from the box. Whee! And the photos, uh, there's a Huffington Post story that we'll put in the show notes. It's super adorable because, you know, puppies come out of boxes. Puppies are revealed. It's awesome. And I like the fact that it's also satirizing the gender reveal party, which I think is silly. So, uh, hooray <laughs> for puppies. Boo to blue confetti in your face. Uh, that's the fuzzy puppy update for this week. The, the, the blue confetti comes from a real story from
3: a family member that we were all blind for about three days. Yeah. It's not, oh. not, 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 no. He Don't, got excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I guess it's
2: better than lighting a fire, like that one. Like
3: the one, the one that, that set one the whole forest
0: fire from the gym? Yeah. Gener- yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, fine. Ah, it's just, That's fine. This is fine. Uh, flow Ion, where can people find you and the stuff that you do?
2: Oh, my goodness. Uh, I am all over the internet. And for now, if you'd like to come find me, I am at com, where I blog about my work elsewhere and just blog. And Excellent. I'm also on Twitter at oh, that flow,
0: But not Facebook. Don't look for Flow on Facebook. No, please don't. Uh, Casey List, where can people find the stuff you do?
1: Well, assuming you didn't cut out all the shilling I did earlier, you've already heard the answer. But just <laughs> in case, you can find me on Relay uh, with on the podcast Analog with Mike Curly, And you can also find me on Twitter at C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S. Also, com, and ATP.fm.
0: Excellent. Uh, Stephen, uh, we managed another one, but we'll be back next week with more. I hope more news happens, I guess. Or maybe we just do a whole Fuzzy Puppy episode. I don't know. I'd be okay with no news happening for a week. I'm just gonna be, it's gonna level with you. Yeah, hmm, yeah, maybe so. Well, anyway, think about the puppies. And uh, until next week, we will keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody.